0: Thank you for reading those names out. Uh, it was a, I can understand why you, you'd wanted to pass that activity on. So, a bit of a background. Uh, way back when the children of Israel were captives in Babylon, King Cyrus decreed that they could return to Jerusalem to build the temple. Now, those that returned were led by this guy called Zerubbabel. They came back and built the temple in Jerusalem. Fast forward many years, Nehemiah is now making this same trip. His goal is to rebuild the city. And over the past few weeks, we've seen and heard how the work was split up. They built the temple, the city rather. There was trouble caused by some of the local uh, leaders. But finally, they completed the wall on the 25th day of the sixth month. Now, it was time for the Israelites to start living in the city. However, there's a problem. In verse 4 of chapter 7, we read, The city was wide and large, but people within it few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Now, although they had a city with walls, it would have largely been inhabitable and many people would have been living in the surrounding towns and villages. Additionally, how was Nehemiah going to work out who lived where? Who's got a claim to live in Jerusalem? Who owns what land? Well, verse 5 tells us that God put it on Nehemiah's heart to register the people by genealogy. Basically, getting people to show their ancestry, to say where they came from. How would you do that? Because... Today, you'd go on the internet, wouldn't you? Ancestry.com or something like that. Or you'd get people to show a land deed or birth certificate to show where they've come from. But that wouldn't have existed. So instead, Nehemiah uses a a genealogy that has been made years earlier when the Israelites initially came out of Babylon. And that's the list you see in chapter 7. This is the list, this is the genealogy of the people that returned when Zerubbabel initially returned many years before. And actually this list is almost a carbon copy of Ezra chapter 2. So if you look in chapter 2 of Ezra, you'll see the same list. And you'll actually find sermons on on Egberth's website of Steve actually preaching on on that passage as well. Uh, That was very helpful to, to listen to. This, word, this passage is virtually word for word the same. There are some minor discrepancies, however, this is largely put down to correcting some of the list. Maybe some people who didn't quite finish the original journey or were delayed, and also some copying errors are considered as well. And it shows us in, in verse 6 that there were originally over 42,000 people led by Zerubbabel and Jeshua the priest. It's worth just noting as a side note that the Nehemiah mentioned in verse 7 was not the one we are considering tonight, uh, which pointed that out early on to me, which was a a helpful little uh, pointer. We see a list showing the family names, showing their inheritance and position the ancestors held, whether it was priests, some were temple servants, some were Levites, and in verses 61 to 65, it makes an interesting point that actually some of these people were not able to prove that they had ancestors who had a claim in Jerusalem. They can't prove that they were Israelites. And that is important because it, it would impact the part they could play in society and the temple until they could prove that. So it is important to show that who you're related to. But the fact that these people I will mention in the Bible, and twice, I think it's important to show that every single name in this word of God is important to God. It's also important to note that these people were willing to leave the comfort of Babylon, because after several generations of living in Babylon, they were in comfort. They would have relative comfort, at least. But they were willing to leave all of that to a calling from God. They were willing to go to a place where they didn't have a home, They wouldn't have any status. Beyond that, they were even willing in verse 70 to 72 to give generously money, gold, towards the temple. Their actions back then showed that following God was a priority to them. And that's really one of my main questions tonight. Is is following God a priority to us? Because as we explore the rest of this passage, I want us to see what following God looked like for the Jews in these chapters, and as we ask the question of whether it's the same in our lives. So how am I going to split it up is, we're going to look at firstly, how they prioritised God's word. Secondly, we're then going to have a look at some of the responses we see in the passage, and then lastly, we're going to look at some of the actions that we see that people took. And and I hope that as you look at this, we'll see a pattern or a a mirror of how we should follow in our Christian lives if you're a Christian. And I hope that leads us to examine ourselves if you're a Christian and ask, am I prioritising God? Am I prioritising God's word? And is it impacting my responses, my actions, what I do? So, how do we see that God and his word was a priority? Well, if we look in chapter 8, verse 1, the first point, we know that because they wanted to hear God's word. Verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. Israel. They told Ezra to bring the book of the law, this was the the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the the Bible, and they wanted it read. Notice in verse 1, it says that they were reading, the book they were reading were actually the word the Lord had commanded Israel, and that's important, because this isn't some human-inspired book, this is God-inspired, this is God's instruction to his people, and the people wanted to hear God's word. This this was no knee-jerk reaction either, because if you look at verse 4 of chapter 8, it tells us they even made a purpose-built platform that could hold Ezra and 13 others. It's not entirely clear, but it's probable that these other people were some of the local leaders uh, in the area. And verse 3 tells us that he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday. So that would have been reading the word as well as the explanations of what it meant. But they were going for hours. Just think about that: early morning to midday. If I said, "Right now, we're going to study God's word from now until, uh, let's say, two or three o'clock in the morning," like you probably would be a bit kind of, "Hang on a hang on a minute, Luke. That, that, that's that, that's not going to that's not going to fly." But they were serious. And remember, the wall has only been built about six days earlier. They've just finished the wall a few days earlier. They haven't really got houses or places to live. You'd think they'd have many other things to focus on, wouldn't you? Like, have we really got half a day to study God's word? We've, we've, We've got a lot of things to get on with. I think sometimes we may feel like we don't want to read God's word or we're busy. Maybe we can feel like we're going through the motions. However, If we truly believe that God's word is the inspired word of God, we must make time to open it and let God speak to us, just like they did. So that's the first question to ask ourselves. Do we open God's word? Do we read God's word? Secondly, we see that God and his word was a priority because they wanted to make it accessible to everyone. In verse 2, So, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning to midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand it. Note where they met. It was at the water gate, not at the temple. Some of the Jewish rules would have meant that some people couldn't have actually attended the temple area. But the the, the clear point here is accessibility. Accessibility. They wanted every person who could understand to hear God's word and to have access to it. Particular mention here of the women and children, not just the men. And at Egberth, this is why we have lots of ministries. We want God's word to be accessible for everyone. Whatever age, gender, young and old, as well as families, as well as individual people. And I, I really do hope that you do find the word accessible here at Egberth. But actually, it's a responsibility in your own homes as well, I think. If we're serious about making God's word accessible, are we actually tailoring it to maybe the ch- children or, or people with, with learning disabilities? H- how are we making God's word accessible? Or is it through family devotions, through books, through songs? However it's done, if we're serious about God's word, we must be like the Israelites... ...and remove the barriers to hearing God's word. And that was very much Jesus' approach. If you remember how he used to preach on the hillsides... uh, ...in the houses... ...making sure there was no barriers to hearing God's word. Uh, Me me and Beth were at a a baptism yesterday in Northampton... ...of a young lad that we were friends with when we were there. Uh, He's got Down syndrome and a lot of learning needs. And it was an amazing experience just to be sitting in a church having a sign language interpreter at the front, seeing loads of videos and music, different sensory ways of presenting the gospel in a way that could help everyone understand, and just seeing all these people that had come into church with their various needs, just their faces lit up, singing He Made the Stars to Shine, it it, it, it was beautiful, just realising this is accessible for them to experience and join in the worship of God. Thirdly, we see that God and his word was a priority, because more than being accessible, the leaders focused big on making it understandable. In verse 2 and 3, we just saw that they wanted people who had the capacity to hear. Now, that's good. That's really good. But they didn't want just to read and presume or hope it was understood. How many of you have been in a room, hopefully not now, But you've been listening to something, and you stayed silent. You thought, I don't really understand this, but I'm just going to sit quietly. And then you just walked off home, none the wiser. I think all of us have have done that at some stage in our life. They made sure people understood God's word, what he was saying. And to help with that, in verse 7, we saw that there was 13 people, as well as Levites, whose purpose was to help people understand the law. How did they do that? Well, the verse tells us that the people stayed where they were, so it suggests that these people went amongst them to help them understand. Verse 8 tells us they gave the sense so that people, the people understood the reading. Now, some parts of the Bible are fairly straightforward to understand, Some parts can be a bit tricky, though, can't they? And, like, I don't quite understand what what that means. And this is where it's really important, particularly in a church family, to look to trusted, wise people to help us understand what the Bible is saying to make it clear for us. But I do think there are some responsibilities here. Firstly, I think, for, for church leaders and those who have got oversight in teaching, to ensure that the teaching is taught clearly so that people can understand, but also feel like they can ask questions to see what God's Word is saying. And if we misunderstand it, that they can be corrected in a loving way. But I think we've also got a responsibility, those who are not in that position. We must not be content to just not understand, or even deliberately be ignorant of God's Word. We must seek understanding of what God's word says. We can't just do what we want and plead ignorance and say, I didn't know that's what the Bible said. I've I've never looked into it, but I don't know. That, That just doesn't, that's not a good thing to do. I think too often it's easy to make up our own minds as well, based on what we want to do and say, I want to do this and then I'll try and get the Bible to fit into my understanding of what I want the Bible to to say. I don't know if that's what it actually means, but that's what I want it to say to fit in with, with what I want to do. And many times we do this, not because the Bible is not clear, but we haven't tried to understand what it says, or we simply refuse to accept it. The Bible is clear on how we should live, and we should look for that understanding and live by it, and if you do have questions, ask, please ask, Impact, you've got the website impactyouth.co.uk I think it is, you can actually ask questions on there, and we have question nights where we look to answer those questions, so if you've got those questions, don't sit on them, ask your parents, ask Marco, or, or Nari, or the others that do roots, don't just sit on them, and then the fourth way we know that they prioritized God's word, they studied it. In verse 13, it says, "On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses, sorry, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the word of the law." This is the day after they'd heard the reading. The community leaders, or heads of the families, met together with the priests and Levites and Ezra to study the law. And it was through studying it that in verse 14 we see that they discovered a command that God had given to Moses for a feast where they should stay in tents during it. And this was the the feast of booths or or tabernacles. And it was a, a festival to celebrate the end of the agricultural year, Thank God for the provisions he'd given them. But also, it was uh, to stay in these kind of tent houses as a way of remembering the journey of the children of Israel when they came through the wilderness from Egypt. Now, in the book of Ezra, we know that this festival was kept. So it's not entirely clear whether the whole feast had stopped in the meantime between when Ezra wrote it initially and now he's reading it again or whether maybe the tense section had not been kept in its entirety. But either way, they studied God's word, and through that saw his commandments. Here's a question. Should, should we find it surprising that studying God's word, we come across truths in how we should live? Should, should, should that be surprising? It shouldn't be surprising, should it? And that's what happens when we look into God's word, using the resources of wise people, whether it's commentaries or sermons and the like, to help us understand scripture. We find gems and truth around how God wants us to live. So if you're serious about God's word, you're going to open it. You're going to make it accessible to yourself and those around you. You're going to look to make it understandable and you're going to dig deeper into God's word for the gems and guidance it gives you. Before we move on, one general point I just want to make is notice how they did each of these steps. It was as a community and Christian living is not done alone. We help each other. We look to those wiser to guide and teach Support us through the hard times and the good. Notice they they all asked Ezra to read. They were together to hear it. The family heads came together to study it together. Later we'll see that they, they wept and celebrated together. We'll see that they looked after each other as a community. Church is God's local group of believers. So how much are you... I, us, doing in this church community to sustain and encourage one another? That's something just to think about. So we've, we've seen that God and his word was a priority for the Jews. However, if God is at the centre of your life, then there must be an impact. So let's look at what their responses were to God and his word. And I've got three responses here. Firstly, they worshipped. After hearing the law read in verse 6, we read, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This was not some formulaic ritual. This was showing awe, supplication, adoration to God, hands in the air to worship God, faces to the ground as not worthy. God was not some relic to them. He was not some distant myth. And if we're a Christian and God is at the centre of our lives, we should want to worship God and put him in his rightful place, both him and his word. Secondly, we see they responded with sorrow at their sin. In verse 9 to 11, we read a slightly strange situation where Three times it mentions that the people were weeping, mourning, grieving. Why were they upset? Well, verse 9 says, For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. God's word is, is like a light, it shines into our hearts. And it shows us Christ, but it shows us our sin and where we have fallen short. And the people through reading the law, they've read the law and were seeing their sin and it was causing them to weep. And as we read God's word and see our sin, do we weep and mourn at how we continually turn away from God? Do we come and confess that to God? Because we must read and understand the Bible so we can see more of God, see more of our sin, so that we can repent and come back to God and have a stronger relationship. However, in verses 9 to 11, we notice that they didn't stay in a state of sorrow or weeping. They were told in verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. They had to be told three times not to do this. So, thirdly, how did they respond? Well, they turned that sorrow into joy. In verses 10 and 11, we read how they were told to go away and eat and drink. Those who had nothing, give to them, help them. And then it says, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, for context, remember, this is the, this is, this is the first day of the seventh month. Now, why is that significant? Well, In Leviticus chapter 23-24, the Mosaic law of of what Moses taught from God was that the first day of the seventh month was a holy day. But what is clear here is that Nehemiah, Ezra and the Levites really wanted to make a distinction that this holy day is not a day for mourning or grieving. It's a day for celebration. A focus on the eating, drinking in celebration, not grieving, but rejoicing. Why rejoice, though? What's the reason to rejoice? Well, verse 10 says, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rather than mourn in your sin, the people are being told, take your conviction, take your guilt. And turn that into the joy that follows repentance and faith. In spite of sin, the Lord will be your strength, the Lord will be your protection. I think sometimes as Christians, um, we don't rejoice enough in our salvation and, and what God has provided for us. We, we must see us. It's so important to see us in. We must see where we fall short of God but that must not leave us in a permanent state of guilt. We must repent knowing that God covers all sin. But more than this, more than that, we should bask and rejoice with thanksgiving in the fact that your sins are forgiven. We're God's children. We've got inheritance in heaven. There is so much that we can rejoice in, and day by day, God is working in our lives. He's wiped away our sin, if you're a Christian. We've got so much to be thankful for. And the Jews had so much to be thankful for. Twice they'd been in captivity, once in Egypt, once in Babylon. And each time God led them home, each time full of treasures, ironically. And he's restored them to be his people again. And we've got so much to rejoice in. But if we're stuck in our sin, we need to take it to God and experience the joy that only God can give. So we've seen the responses in their worship, their sorrow at sin, and their rejoicing at what God has done. Lastly, let's just look at a couple of points around how they acted, so around their actions. So firstly, how they treated each other. And we did touch very briefly on this. In verse 9... In verse 9, when the Levites told the people to rejoice, eat and drink, they were told to care for those without. And verse 12 shows us that they did just that. Again, we see this community focus. Yes, there was much to rejoice and be thankful to God for. However, the focus is on helping others rejoice also, to help those who maybe felt, I, I can't take part in this. I've just, I got no, no way of, of, of taking part in this. I think church family is so precious, so precious. And this is one of the key parts of local church family, that we have to get to know each other, not have to. We we should want to get to know each other. Because through that, you'll be able to support each other in the needs that each other has. And if you're not involved much in church life, not only are you going to miss out on the spiritual nourishment, you're not going to be able to support each other. And if you can't practice that in the church, how are you going to be able to practice that outside of the church? And secondly, we see the actions through the obeying of God's word. I mentioned earlier how through studying God's word they discovered the festival of booths. Now, what did they do once they saw this commandment? Well, they proclaimed it to everyone that we're going to take part, we're going to celebrate this together. And we're going to live in tents, we're going to read God's word every day, and on the eighth day, we're going to treat it as a solemn day, because that's what Leviticus says. And if we want to live for God, we must hold fast to what the Bible teaches and live according to what it says. In our Connect group uh, this week, we've been looking at Philippians 2, so I was quite pleased when Ed uh, mentioned that they have two <laughs> And we read that Paul was encouraging the people to shine as lights in a twisted generation. To hold fast to what the Bible says. Do we study the Bible to understand it? And then do we act, do we live according to what it says? Or do we just stop at once we've understood it? Because by reading, understanding, studying God's word, we need to be people that then live by what it says. And that's going to be hard. Maybe that's hard decisions that are going to be had. But why was there genealogy of the people of Israel who travelled back from Babylon? Well, as I mentioned at the start, they were willing to leave the comfort of home to travel to the ruins of Jerusalem to follow a calling of God to once again have God's people together in his city. And if you're a Christian and you're saying that God is the most important person in your life there will be an impact or there should be an impact on the your actions and choices that you do do you do you recognize that in your lives because we need to examine it and say am I actually making these daily decisions to to follow Jesus even where it might cost me because it's so easy to stay in the comfort zone just like those who remained in Babylon it would have been so easy to do that So we've seen that if you're serious about following God, then God and his word must be a priority. And if you're trusting in him and his saving grace, then it should impact your life through how you respond to God and his word and how you act based on what it says. So let us pray as I I, I close that we would be shining lights in a world that wants nothing to do with God. Amen. Das ist <lacht> <lacht>